Jason, first and foremost, how are the beignets? <laughs> well, I tweeted out a photo of my Saturday morning breakfast at Cafe du Monde, the yeah. beignets. Uh, they were so good that we got two orders of them after we finished our first one. We got a second one because they're hard to deny. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was on a somewhat of a staycation, I guess you could say, because it was only about 45 minutes away. But I stayed in Daytona this weekend, a little family getaway action. And so I, I mean, I, I had some plush living going on this weekend, yet I still found myself jealous of the spread that you had in front of you on Saturday. Yeah, the Cafe Mon is just a institution and, and beignets are, you know, you can't miss those. So they were yeah. absolutely delicious. I'm going to miss those in the Big 12. I've been to New Orleans a couple of times. Always make it a, a point to stop at Cafe Du Monde. The line is usually pretty ridiculous. Was it insane for you guys? Yeah, it was insane. We had to wait about 15 minutes uh, early Saturday morning. So, But it was well worth the wait. Yeah. 15 minutes for coffee and donuts, by the way. So 15 minutes might not sound like a lot, but based on all that you're ordering, <laughs> let's take a right. minute. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, uh, so yeah. Gus Malzahn said after the game that he's a believer that you don't lose your job due to injury. Did you know that about him going into the game? We asked that question. I don't think he un- I either the question wasn't asked right or he misinterpreted what we asked. We asked him kind of that on Monday prior to the game, and it sounded like he was asking uh, – it felt like he understood the question differently than the way it was asked, I think, and maybe it wasn't even asked properly. But he didn't really answer it the way we wanted it to him, either yes or no. He believed that. He kind of – took it differently than specifically about John Rice uh, and, and his situ- situation coming off of the Memphis game that he missed due to a concussion. Um, we didn't know that about him, at least on the UCF beat. You know, I'm not sure how he handled things at Auburn, but um, you know, coaches handled things differently. Uh, that was the big question going into the game. Would they just return to John Rice totally like normal, like nothing happened, or would they stick with the hot hand of Mike and Keenan? Once things got rolling, it, it wasn't that surprising that they stuck with John Rice, or they returned to So, and they did, and he came out firing. He looked great early on, and UCF jumped out to a big lead on the road. But is your guess that his leash was pretty short? I mean, Gus Malzahn's never going to tell us that, but would you say that it had things not gone well in the first quarter? Maybe we see Mikey Keene? I'm not so sure, actually. I think. they would have just adjusted as the game went on and run the ball, and that would have opened things, opened some things up. I mean, um, I, I think it would have to take a ton of turnovers and some legitimately bad decisions that were responsible by John Rice Plumley. I mean, uh, you know, whenever we see an interception, you think it's the quarterback's fault. I mean, unless he's staring down the defender and just throws it right at him, you know, a lot of things happen on plays in terms of timing. I'm not making excuses for some of the struggles John Rice has had. I think. Um, you know, entering that game, maybe there was some discussion about a potential two-system quarterback, but I don't think that w- was ever in the cards. I mean, I really do think John Rice only was a starter before he got hurt, and he's the starter the rest of the season, pending uh, any potential injury. Yeah, and there's uh, there's a lot to look ahead to there. What happened to the vaunted two-lane defense, and what did you see that UCF did to impose their will early on in this game? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, after the game, Gus Malzahn said we knew we had to run the ball successfully and we had to get John Rice involved. I mean, when I when I was, you know, kind of scouting Tulane and what Southern Miss did to them to win that game, you know, earlier in the season, how did they lose with Southern Miss who's now, I think, at 500 or below 500? I mean, you look back at that loss, that's definitely a game that Tulane, I'm sure, wants back. But in that game, Southern Miss threw the ball. I mean, they had a 
37-yard touchdown late, and then they had a pick six, so they played some good defense as well. But they actually threw the ball successfully. So um, for them to, you know, really run the ball successfully says a lot about, you know, the UCF attack. I mean, I think Tulane is still in the top 25 for good reason. They're a good football team. They have a, you know, one of the better defenses in the conference. So for them to run the way they did, I mean, and they used a little bit of everyone. We saw what John Rice did. I think he had a 47-yard run within the first two minutes, and they kind of shared the ball between uh, Johnny Richardson, which is good to see, and R.J. Harvey, and then really that final drive, Isaiah Bowser, uh, you know, had some really big, you know, big runs that, you know, milked the clock down, and uh, it was just a, you know, a really good afternoon for the run game. We're chatting with uh, UCF beat writer Jason Beatty from OrlandoSentinel.com. Control and destiny is now in the Knights' hands. What does a UCF fan need to be nervous about, if anything, as the season wraps up with Navy and USF? Well, you can never underestimate Navy. I mean, we saw they almost beat Notre Dame this past weekend. I think, you know, obviously UCF, I think, has a bad taste in their mouth based on last year's result at Navy. Obviously, there were a ton of injuries. That was the first road game. That was Mikey Keene's first start when he was a freshman. They, um, you know, they've added and kind of revamped their offense, some of the transfers they've added since last year. So it's a little bit of a different team. But I think when you're, you know, you, like you said, you – you don't want to look too far ahead when you have control of your own destiny. You, you know, all you have to do is beat a pretty bad Navy team and an even worse USF team in Tampa. I mean, that's a game where you know if things are personal. I think you have to throw the records out the book, and uh, you know, really, it, it comes down to a rivalry matchup like that. So, you know, you obviously hope that UCF doesn't look too far ahead. I mean, you. I think we talked to Anthony Montalvo today who said, if you look ahead, you'll get too excited and then you lose focus. So I think internally they'll handle it the way they need to. And um, But I think there's definitely a buzz around the program right now that's just like, wow, we're I mean, realistically, if it were to end right now, they'd be hosting the title game on December 3rd. So uh, they're really close, and they know that. Yeah, and I'm curious to see if that happens, which we we think that it will, but, of course, you can't get too far (laughs) ahead of yourself. They That should happen. Who do you think they will go up against? Who would you and UCF fans alike want to see them go up against? Tulane, Cincinnati, those are the top two options, right? Yeah, yeah, and what's interesting is those two teams play in Cincinnati uh, the final week of the regular mm-hmm. season. Because of that, I think it's going to be Cincinnati. I think they're going to find a way to win at home. I think Tulane's the better team, but uh, when everything's on the line, you're playing at home. I, you know, you feel like you have to go with the home team. But Tulane and Cincinnati, if all things hold the way they are right now, those two teams will win or will play for a spot in the AAC title game, which would be in Orlando, assuming you know everyone holds and the records hold and no one loses. So um, those are the two options. I mean, I think if you're UCF. I think even though Cincinnati could beat Tulane the final week because they're at home, I felt like Tulane was the tougher team. I mean, Michael Pratt's a really good quarterback, and Tajay Spears, I mean, he was, you want to talk about defense stopping the run. I mean, UCF's defense really let Spears run all over them, and they struggled in the red zone. I mean, UCF's defense entered with the number one red zone defense, and, you know, Tulane scored four touchdowns out of five times, and the other one was a field goal inside the red zone. So the fact that UCF's offense put up 38 points was really, really key because the defense did not hold up the way we saw. So I guess in that sense, you'd want to play Cincinnati again, but both those teams, regardless, are going to want a second shot at UCF. Okay, now I'm really going to get ahead of myself. Let's say UCF (laughs) wins the next two, then they win the AAC championship game. Cotton Bowl appearance would be on the horizon for them. 
Uh, that's the mm-hmm. only bowl affiliation that I could find for the Cotton Bowl is the highest-ranked Group of Five team. I'm not sure if you can shed any other light on realistic opponents. Brett McMurphy shared that Penn State right now would be his projected opponent for UCF in the Cotton Bowl, but do you think that there are a couple of other options if UCF does indeed get that far? If they do get that far, you know, obviously you saw what Brett McMurphy projected. I think CBS Sports, uh, you know, had uh, either LSU. I mean, I've seen some projections with Alabama. How does that sound? Gus Malzahn, Nick Saban, yes. Cotton Bowl. I mean, Tennessee, who knows what's going to happen in the SEC and, and whatnot. I mean, obviously UCF versus Josh Hype on the Cotton Bowl sounds pretty appetizing as well. So uh, there are some logistics, you know, some logistics to be figured out in terms of who wins the SEC and who doesn't and where those, where those dominoes fall. But there are some fun matchups. I mean, uh, I think UCF fans would would love Alabama or Tennessee in the Cotton Bowl. If I mean we're so far ahead of ourselves, but we're yeah. not really. I mean, we, it's a lot closer than you think. I mean, uh, it's going to come down here, down to the wire. But it's it's exciting times around UCF for the first time in a few years. Yeah, I mean they'll be favored in all of these games, so you know conceivably that should lead to uh, a Cotton Bowl appearance. See, I think TCU, if they don't make the college football playoff, would be interesting too, like a big like a Big Twelve preview bowl big 12 game matchup. That'd mm-hmm. be fun. At the Real Beatty, you can find him on Twitter, OrlandoSentinel.com, for all of his UCF coverage. Thanks so much, Jason. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Talk to you next week. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. I uh, I just don't want to see them go up against Penn State. That just bores me. There's so many other options I find entertaining. It's fine if that's what you end up with, but it just doesn't really get my juices flowing. Tazi's take coming up around the corner, and we've got Bianchi's weekend roundup. Much to get to. Keep it locked right here on In the Zone. 96.9 The Game. FM HD online at 969thegame.com on your phone with the iHeartRadio app and on hundreds of devices like Alexa, Google Home, Xbox, and Sonos. An iHeartRadio station.